2: Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 154 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Mr. Joey Coastman. I'm joined as always by Ayaz Sumra. Ayaz, how are you doing? I'm good, Joey. Yourself? Very good, my friend. Very good. This week we are a trio. We're also joined by IFL TV's young um, new man, but I'm not too much of a new man anymore. I've been doing it for quite a while now, Mr. Umar Ahmed. Umar, welcome to the show also.
1: All good, Joey. You?
2: Yeah, very good, my friend, very good. Um, like I say, I will come to you in due time. I'm just going to fly through some of the results from last week. We're going to start with the review part of the show. We're going to start in a place called, well, I mean, this is something for, for my uh, for my pronunciation here. I'm going to try, though. A place in Poland called the Hala Widowisko in Spoutowa in <laughs> I'm just going to stop there. Many, many different places, this one. Uh, it's, it's a venue in a town, in a city, in a location in Poland. We're going to leave it at that. But one fight to mention over here, a guy over here called Damian Jonak. Um, the reason why I mention this guy, he's moved to 41-0 and with one draw, which... Um, it deserves a mention, even though I've had a little look at the record and it's extremely padded. But anyway, he took on a guy called Sherzod Kusanov, who also was undefeated. 21-0 and with one draw, but an eight-round unanimous decision in favor of Jonak, like I say. Now 41-0 and with one draw. Everyone that's trying to rival Mayweather's record gets a thumbs up from me. Um, moving over now to Thailand. One fight to mention over here. Another guy that's chasing Mayweather's record. We mentioned it last week, a guy called... Tasana Sampatan. He's moved to 48-0 and 0 now. Unbelievable. I think he's only about 23 or 24, so we may even see him, you know, winding up with about 100 fights under his belt, but it is what it is. He took on a guy. Um, he was supposed to take on a guy who I think was about 3-6, and six, I think his record was, but that fight didn't end up happening. Instead, in jumps a guy who is just listed on BoxRec as unknown. So no one quite knows the identity of this guy, but he got in the other corner and he got knocked out in a round. And that's what I like to see. I like to see guys 48-0 and 0 now fighting guys who have never had a pro fight or probably even amateur fight in their whole lives. I like their style there in Thailand, <laughs> improving that unbeaten record. Moving over now, though, to the Brentwood Centre in Essex, United Kingdom. Now, Umar, I know that you were in attendance for this bill, so I'm just going to come to you. In a second, a couple of the other results that I want to mention here. Danny Dignam proceeded to 8 0 a TKO in round 4 against Danny Shannon. Um, Jake Ball extended his win streak We'll be speaking to him later on in the show His record now 12-1 and 1, A TKO against Philip Cote in the third round Cote's record now 32-13 and 13 With two draws Cote's a man that only really gets stopped Against top opposition So quite a good win there for Jake Ball um, He's obviously got a big fight lined up for next month Also Sammy McNess picked up win number 10 He's got one loss also A points win over six rounds against Innocent and Wanyu, who um, who I've seen once or twice before. I like that name there. Um, that's about it really for the for the standout names for me, Omar. But um, is there anything else that went on on that show? Um, you know, the main event, of course, I left out as well. But anything exciting that we missed?
1: No, you've you've touched upon on on, really on the main points on the card really. Um, obviously, you mentioned Jake Boy. He's up with a uh, dominant Ingle now in the Ingle Gym, so exciting times for him. And, uh, yeah, the main event was definitely fight of the night um, for the Super World uh, title English. Um, Billy Bird being the MTK fighter, uh, but actually he lost uh, on points to Adam Harper, who's obviously now the English champ. But uh, It was a cracking fight. Many people had it sort of level or round either way. But, um, yeah, Adam Harper nicked it uh, in a great fight and uh, a good bill generally on uh, in Essex the other night.
2: Yeah, a decent well, I say a decent venue. I've been to the to the Brentwood Centre before. It's definitely not your uh uh, your, your VIP lounge type of place, but yeah, still a still a solid place for boxing. Um, Adam Harper now nine and one, the new English super welterweight champion. the The title was vacant before the bout. A majority decision. So, like you say, Umar, very very close fight. One judge did give it a draw, but he was overruled by the other two judges that scored in favour of Harper. Uh, moving over now to the MBS Arena in Brandenburg in Germany. One or two fights to mention over here. Uh, let's Start with this one. A guy on the bill called Cheek Diem, His record was 11 and two. Now 11 and three. He also carries one draw. He got in there against Tyrone Zuega. Yes, we know that man got defeated by Rocky Fielding uh, when Rocky Fielding took his O and his world title um, a few weeks back or a couple months back now. So yeah, Tyrone Zuega returned here with a win, a TKO in the eighth and final round. His record now 23 and one with one draw. Um, The main event, though, Jack Kulkai. he moved to 25 wins. He's got three losses also, and he picked up the vacant IBF international middleweight title. Uh, Rafael Bajaram was in the other corner. His record now, 25-3 and with one draw. Jack Kulkai scored a 10th round TKO there. Moving over now to Turkey. One fight to mention over here, it happened in Istanbul. Firat Arslan, I think it was just... um, I think it was just the other week or so. He turned 48, if I'm not mistaken. Um, He's he's trotting on. He's picked up another win here. His record now 44 wins, 8 losses, and 2 draws. A knockout in the second round. And he defended successfully his Global Boxing Union World Cruiserweight title. In the other corner, Pascal Ndomba, an African fighter there that got... Uh, That got KO'd, like I say, his record now, 23-9 and with two draws. He hadn't really fought anyone of note, and to get in there against Firat Arslan, I mean, even though Arslan's 48 years old, it is what it is. That is a very tough task. Moving over now to the big one. The pay-per-view fight that took place last Saturday in the Wembley Arena. Or oh, not the Wembley Arena. Where am I Where am I going? The Wembley Stadium. I should know. I was sat next to you for the entire night, Umar. I will come to you in just a second. Let's start with the undercard. Not too much on the undercard. The whole bill itself actually consisted of just, uh, just five fights. Which, if you think about that, on pay-per-view is equivalent to £4 per fight. Some people not too pleased, but... That is that is for those people to discuss. Um, one fight that I want to mention that kind of went under the radar, I guess. Um, Shakram Giasov. Uh, he moved to 5-0. and It was a TKO in four rounds against the previously undefeated Julio Laguna, whose record is now 14-1. and Like I say, a, a fourth round TKO there. That was the first fight of the night. Uh, the second fight of the night, Sergei Kuzmin, he extended his win streak to 13-0. and He took on uh, the very likable Scouser, Mr. David Price. 22-6 and now, David Price. This one was for the vacant WBA Intercontinental Heavyweight title. Like I say, Kuzmin now the champion of that belt. And after four rounds, David Price retired on his stall um, with, with a torn right bicep. Now, um... I mean, a lot of people, uh, including myself, was was extremely shocked at the time because it was very unclear to see what had happened. All we knew, or all that we'd heard is that his corner had pulled him out and there wasn't Anything too apparent as to why, um obviously you know in the post fight interview, David Price addressed that, but a lot of people feeling kind of short changed by the whole thing i oh, as i'm going to come over to you first, what did you make of david price's um you know his efforts i mean he he was right in that fight you'd you'd have to say, and you know to to go out like that and to retire on his stall like I say after a fairly competitive fight seems a real shame because he was you know he was given another chance on a big stage and he wasn't able to capitalize.
3: Yes, I think um, obviously at the start he was doing very, very good. Uh, obviously, uh, he took the fight on a very short notice. He was meant to fight. Was it Sean Turner before? Yes. Yes. Obviously, he pulled uh, he pulled that out of that fight. He fought Kuzmin. Uh, to be fair, now I personally think, um, obviously, he he did he he did do good in the fight, but he was getting hurt a bit. But should I I have to tell you one thing. For me personally, I think David Price should technically hang up his gloves. I don't want him seeing him getting hurt over and over and over again. Like Povetkin, he had a Povetkin knocked him out. He's had uh, a couple of bad losses. I've, the thing with David Price, since he's lost to that Tony Thompson, there's something with his mind. I don't know what it is, but since that since that Tony Thompson's loss, lost, it's gone all down him downhill for him. To be fair, I think it's time for David David Price for him to hang up the gloves. It's because it, it, obviously for his health, and I don't uh, he obviously shouldn't get hurt anymore.
2: Yeah, I mean, it was a real shame, like I say, the way it ended. I mean, Price was was very much in the fight. Both men took shots well. Uh, Both men landed decent shots themselves. And Kuzmin probably threw more. I mean, I wasn't actually scoring it, but I did feel that both men were neck and neck. And then out of nowhere, when Price's corner pulled him out with that bicep injury, uh, it was quite shocking. But yeah, like I say, Price did... Um, You know, he did come out and say in the post-fight interview that he knew of the injury going into the fight and decided to still go ahead with the fight because he couldn't turn down the opportunity. So, in some ways, he basically kind of, you know, he kind of took advantage of the pay-in-fight fans there. I mean, it was a pay-per-view and, um, you know, to pull a stunt like that uh, was, was quite quite bizarre, I mean, especially from someone with the characteristics of David Price and uh, he also went on to say that he'd probably be out the ring for about a year with the injury, so um, you know, that was that was quite unbelievable, I mean, I couldn't really believe it, uh, he, did, he did well to not get knocked out I mean, obviously, I don't want to come across too harsh, but I think most people had the feeling that he probably wasn't going to win that fight, if I'm being honest, and um, you know that's what I thought would probably happen. He'd probably get stopped, but you know, it's in in a way, in a, in a kind of weird way, it's good that he got stopped by his corner pulling him out due to an injury, rather than seeing him be you know rendered unconscious or anything like that. But aside from that, um, I was a little bit annoyed being being a you know a fight fan also, and you know seeing seeing that you know he pulled a move like that, and like I say, now he's going to be out for a whole year. I mean, you you kind of felt that that was a real last chance saloon for him. I mean, we fought that when he took on Pavetkin on the Joshua Parker undercard, and he got knocked out brutally there, then this chance came out of nowhere, I think he had one fight in the interim against a guy that, you know, was, was not really going to cause him any trouble, so he gets in with Kuzmin here uh, you know, another big chance for him pretty undeserved, to be honest and, uh, you know, he, he retires on his store and then says he's going to be out for a whole year, so I'm not really um, super excited to see him back in the ring I has. um I'm going to kind of side with what you said there i think that if he were to retire then i'd be pretty happy for that to happen but um you know at the end of the day it's not down to me to decide what he does it's ultimately up to him i like the guy i've said it many times and i wish him nothing but the best with whatever he decides to do in the future um who do you want to drop a couple words on that one
1: yeah i mean it was a bit gutting uh, especially as david price is an mtk fighter um listen, Kuzmin was always going to be a tough fight. But as you say, um, you and as I as said, that, that he was doing really well. Um, probably level going into that round. But, yeah, I mean, it's just unfortunate what's happened with his career. And being out for a year, it's not, it's not going to help things. Um, and I was a bit surprised, really, when he said uh, in the IFL TV interview that he wanted to come out, uh, go to Russia, sorry, and uh, rematch Kuzmin. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as I agree with you, whatever he does next, uh, I wish him the best because obviously he's he's massively liked and uh, still a popular figure in British boxing.
2: Yeah, for sure, for sure. We wish Pricey nothing but the best. Moving up the uh, the bill once again, a fight here that um, a lot, of, a lot, a lot, a lot of people are criticising. Um, Acoli versus Askin. Obviously, in this fight, like I say, I wasn't really scoring it at all, but there was lots and lots of clinching. Um, Very, very hard to score the rounds, actually. Not a great atmosphere during the fight. Um, Not the fight that many people expected. Um, A very bad clash of styles, even though, you know, on paper, we were really looking forward to that fight. Very scrappy fight. Akoli had a point deducted in the fifth round for what I believe was persistent use of the head. Um, like I say, a very scrappy fight. Um, I think he had another point took off in the eighth round and then another point took off in the eleventh round. So theoretically, I was explaining this to you at the time, Uma, Um Theoretically, one time in three different rounds he had a point took off, which... Most judges would give that a 10-8 round to the other fighter, meaning that there's a six-point discrepancy there. So, uh, you know, in a in a 12-round fight, which it was, um, three 10-8 rounds would be Askins leading by, by six points. So, a Akoli would then need to win six rounds, 10-9, to level it back up, and then there'd be three rounds remaining that would be up for grabs to see who won the fight. But also... Um, most referees, when they take a third point away, they would automatically disqualify the fighter. Obviously, the referee didn't do that here. Um, when we did see the final scorecards, a lot of people were very, very shocked. Um, Askin loses his British Cruiserweight title here. Lawrence Okoli wins it and, and extends his winning record to double figures, now 10-0. and 0. Uh, Matty now 23-4 and four with one draw. I believe that him and his management team have decided to um, to appeal the decision. I think they've got in touch with a British boxing board of control. I'm not quite sure what can happen now, but um, I think they're searching for some kind of immediate rematch. And I think he's probably got a leg to stand on, to be honest. But the fight itself, very, very hard to see it for Umar.
1: Yeah, it's a weird one with Akoli because on paper he's beaten arguably the second, third, and uh fourth best cruiserweights within the country, and is now obviously British champ. But uh barring the obviously the Watkins fight where it was just a destructive performance. They weren't the best fights, were they? Um, Chamberlain and Askin fights. so coley will be the first to admit that. Um, especially the Askin one obviously being on pay per view. But yeah, what can you say? There's still three wins and uh he's the best cruiserweight in Britain. But yeah, not the most fan friendly fights especially, as I said, the Chamberlain one and the one on Saturday night.
2: Ayaz, what did you make of the performance? Obviously Umar's right when he says that you know the most important thing ultimately is the wins. And in my eyes, like I've said before, I mean the Chamberlain fight, I honestly gave Chamberlain a big chance against him. I thought that Chamberlain would probably beat him. It was very much a 50-50 fight. Um, with Watkins I also thought that Watkins, I gave him a big chance against Akoli and it was just no contest at the end of the day. Akoli was just far too good that night for Watkins. And then he took on here Askin, who I actually picked last week to stop Akoli and of course that didn't look like happening at any point but he has won by a hook or by a crook what did you make of it
3: um to be fair it was a bit of a boring fight uh, it was a bit scrappy to me it reminded me a bit of the Isaac Chamberlain fight but obviously Akoli's got the win we'll see where he goes from there to be fair
2: yeah just to reiterate the prediction league um last week I went with Kuzmin by knockout uh we all actually went with Kuzmin by knockout, so we all gained a point there. And then I went with Askin by knockout. I as you went with a coley by knockout and so did the listeners, so nobody gained a point there. No one saw a coley winning on points, which did end up happening. Um, moving up the card once again we had Luke Campbell, eighteen and two, take on Yvonne Mendy, forty and four with one draw. Obviously Mendy going into the fight with that one win over Luke Campbell. Um you know, he took his O he dropped him when they when they when they met for the first time. This was the rematch. Um, very, very cautious kind of fight really from Luke Campbell, who I think, you know, he's been dropped a few times now. And I think he's, he's kind of realized that his defense needs to improve. And that's why I believe he's gone from coach to coach to try and find someone that he can gel with and improve that defense. Um, the fight itself, I mean, just to, just to go over what I saw, I mean, for the most part, Luke was keeping Mendy behind his jab, he wasn't loading up, he wasn't over-committing. Like I say, he was being very cautious and he was outlanding Mendy in my eyes, but only with little, you know, little tipper tapper kind of shots, little uh, point scoring shots, no real power behind them. Mendy was trying and he was actually on the front foot for the whole fight pretty much, but he just couldn't really seem to get past Campbell's jab for the for the for the most part of the fight. And um, to be honest, it was another bit of a boring fight, really. And, uh, you know, the people around me, I, I remember in the media section, were complaining about the undercard being quite poor at that stage. And we were all hoping that the main event would, you know, would would kind of turn things around, turn the night around, which obviously it did, and we're going to get onto that in due time. But does anyone want to jump in on, on uh, Luke Campbell and Mendy there?
1: Yeah, I thought it was a, you know, as you said, it wasn't the most fan-friendly fight again, but Luke had to do we had to do got rid of that sort of that demon from before that lost to Mendy um and it was just a an easy night's work for him he as you said behind the jab looked brilliant fight was a eliminator for Mikey Garcia's belt but we don't know what's going on with Mikey Garcia whether he's gonna you know fight Errol Spencer at 147 or whatever I don't know what Mikey Garcia is planning to do but um I thought Luke did really well against you know one of the best fighters in the world in Jorge Linares um And he he looked, you know, faultless against Mendy on Saturday night. So, uh, yeah, big things for Luke, especially under Shane McGuigan now.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And like I say, the predictions. um, I actually went with Campbell to win on points, so I got that one right. Uh, The listeners also went with that. But I, as you went with Campbell to win by knockout, obviously I reminded you that um, no one has has managed to stop Mendy and it wasn't going to be Luke Campbell last Saturday. So you missed out on a point there. Um, talking about the main event, though, Anthony Joshua, 21-0, 20 by knockout. He took on Alexander Povetkin, 34-1, and 1, a man that had never been stopped. The one loss came to Vladimir Klitschko, a much more... Um, Well, a much better version of Klitschko than the one that Joshua took on last April. Um, This one was for the IBF, IBO, WBA Super and WBO World Heavyweight crowns. Povetkin down twice in that seventh round. A very good contest up until the stoppage. Um. Yeah, very interesting fight. Obviously, in the first round, Joshua's legs dipped after a combination from Povetkin in the last five seconds of that round. Um, it made the whole crowd kind of ooh a little bit, actually. Um, I didn't think that there was too much that went on in the first round, really, aside from that, so it was a good little finish there from Povetkin. Uh, not too much action, though, in that round. It was, It was for me, a little bit of a 10-10 kind of round. The second round, Povetkin certainly won. It was a very clear round for him. Joshua Hadn't really thrown a right hand at that point at all He was only seeming to just jab And most of his jabs were actually missing Povetkin was really doing well with his elusive work Pavetkin was doubling up and throwing combinations Um... He was starting to find a home for his left hook. And also he was showing, like I say, very good um, punch evasiveness. In the third round, Joshua started really well. Povetkin did well in the middle part of the round. But Joshua finished really strong. So a very close round in my eyes. An argument for a 10-10. But if I had to edge it to anybody... Then I felt that it was probably a Joshua round, which I think some people around me disagreed with. Now, the fourth round it was a very slow round, not too much landed. Pavetkin was lunging in with his wild left hook, but he wasn't really landing it. Um, Joshua busted up Pavetkin's left eye, but I think Joshua at that point, you know, he had a bloodied nose himself. Um, I felt that Joshua did nick that that fourth round, but it wasn't very clear to score once again. The fifth round, arguably, Povetkin won that round. Joshua was being backed up um, for the whole fight, really, at that point. And in the sixth round, Joshua did start coming forward and pushing Povetkin back for the first time in the fight. Joshua landed a lovely right hand, but Povetkin responded very well. It was another really hard round to split the pair, but I hate to say it, There were a lot of rounds which I felt were very difficult to score. Like I say, I was really finding it quite difficult who to give a round to. So it was very subjective. A lot of people online had their version. A lot of people that were there had their version. Um, Joshua, I felt, got that sixth round. Um, And then in the seventh round, like I say in this in this round, going into this round, I had it three rounds apiece, so a draw for me after six rounds. But like I say, in the seventh, Joshua landed with an overhand right which put Pavetkin in trouble and then Joshua jumped on him with a barrage of left and right hooks, and down went Pavetkin. i re- I actually thought he was done at that point because he kind of fell through the ropes a little bit and then he got back up and like I say, um, when the referee asked the pair to or ordered the pair to box on. Joshua landed a beautiful combination, which I believe started with a left hook and ended up with a left uppercut and a chopping right hand, and in jumped the referee. Um, Despite most people scoring the fight to Povetkin, when I looked at various different scorecards on Twitter and stuff like that, you know it is a 12 round fight and you know Anthony Joshua just stopped there an Olympic gold medalist who'd never been stopped in a professional ring and like I say he did it in seven rounds so I had to take my hat off and I take it off once again here and just to reiterate and go over a couple of other facts um Obviously, you know, Povetkin, a lot of people are now saying that, oh, he was old, he was old, he was old. Well, Povetkin, obviously, we know he's 39 years of age, he's not a spring chicken, but he didn't really show any signs of slowing down. I mean, we're not quite sure at what point of his career he was taking, you know, illegal substances and not. But we do know that the last couple fights that he's been in of of any... um, decent level have gone the distance He he's kind of stopped knocking people out so you know there was that factor that he was slowing down but he certainly wasn't absolutely past it it was never ever going to be a one-sided beat down from joshua i was one of the firm believers that felt this fight was going to be a real hard fight and it was but a brilliant finish there from anthony joshua i'm going to come to you first ayaz what did you make of his performance there
3: it was a very good performance first of all let me say at the start, um, I remember Eddie Han said in an interview that Anthony Joshua was ill. He had a couple of nu- uh, nudges. But at the start, um, to be fair, Povetkin's a very good fighter. Very, very tough. Did he broke his nose bruised?
2: I think, that hook? I think everyone kind of thought it was broken, but I think medically he's he's had it checked and I don't actually think it's broken, so it was just bloodied. I think the same kind of thing happened with um, with Takam, I believe.
3: I remember watching the fight. It looked to me thought It was broken and thought, Oh, God. And obviously, Pervezan did very, very good. Pervezan, we saw, we knew that a, a lot of people underestimated, a lot of people underestimated Povetkin, but they didn't know how good, how how good and dangerous he was. I personally thought, I thought is this is a very, very dangerous fight for Anthony Joshua, and if he overcome this, which he did, obviously from the start, Pervezan did a lot of pressure on him. What he was doing, Pervezan was coming forward and going for that right hook every single time he was going for that right hook. Someone had it five rounds to Joshua. I didn't see that. Obviously, Povetkin wobbled Joshua a couple of times in the first round, the third round, and even in the fourth round as well. But Obviously, in this, in the seventh round, um, perfect, uh, obviously, in the sixth round, Joshua hurt him a lot. And in the seventh round, Apokai and threw the right hand and Povetkin was gone from there. Um, now, where does Joshua go from here? Obviously, they're saying about the Dillian White. Uh, obviously, they're talking about the Deontay Wilder fight. I personally think that Wilder fight is not going to happen. And I think the next fight of Wembley is going to be Dillian White.
2: Yeah, just to uh, before I throw it over to Umar, it was it was funny because obviously Joshua said that we're going to put a poll on Twitter and he's put three guys as candidates for his next fight. Obviously, he's put Tyson Fury, he's put Deontay Wilder and he's put Dillian White and I think most people believe in it's probably going to be Dillian White but Dillian White has had literally about 4 or 5 or 6% of the votes so obviously people don't really want to see that rematch there but um, one thing I will will just mention there, I kind of find it quite bizarre how, you know, Joshua's people are obviously reaching out to Deontay Wilder's people trying to set up a fight in April when, you know, Deontay Wilder, if the Fury fight will happen like we believe it's going to be happening, then how can you really plan past Fury, um, you know, in terms of Deontay Wilder? I mean, this is going to be Wilder's hardest fight against Fury and certainly not a foregone conclusion, so... You know, to, to, to kind of try and make a fight for, for April, I think Deontay Wilder certainly needs to concentrate on what's in front of him. Um, you know, I think everyone would agree on that. But what did you make of the fight, Umar, itself? Obviously, Joshua Povetkin. Like we say, a lot of people around us scoring the fight here, there, and everywhere. And uh, it it really didn't matter in the end because Joshua emerged the victor. Yeah, I
1: thought it was a great main event. Uh, saved the night, really. I had it 58 56 to Povetkin so Povetkin by two up going into the seventh but as Four you say it didn't years. matter in the end yeah. uh, brutal from Joshua um, showed why he's one of the best in the world um, and yeah we all want to see obviously the winner of Wilder Fury fight Joshua but obviously if Fury does come out on top uh, on December the 1st there will be a rematch clause in place Um so Fury Wilder will happen again. Um, so if that is the case, we'll probably see Joshua rematch Dylan White um, April the 13th at Wembley Stadium, which is still a, a very good fight because uh, obviously in the first one we saw Dylan have Josh in trouble, and Dylan, you know, had a problem with his shoulder. He said and he was much rawer than he's gone and obviously to beat Lucas Brown, Helenius, Joseph Parker. Uh, since then, Derek Chisora obviously was a close fight, but he's got he's done really well. Um, Dillian White since his loss to Joshua. Um, so, any three of them on April 13th is going to be a good fight against Joshua. Um, but, yeah, a good main event on Saturday night. And uh, Povetkin, for me, would beat a lot of heavyweights um, currently. I know, what, 3940 now and past his peak. But some of the left hooks he was frying on Saturday night and the counters really troubling Joshua. And Joshua wasn't doing much in the first six his jab to the body was really good and I think you know sort of that weared and broke Povetkin down leading to the finish in the seventh but um, Povetkin is still a world class operator for me but does he retire I don't know Um, but I still think he'd beat a lot of heavyweights out there still
2: yeah, I'd love to see him take on Joseph Parker. I mean, I'm not going to discuss what would happen in that fight just now. But if anyone wants to give their opinion, let us know at Box Hard Podcast on Twitter. I'd love to see that fight. Or perhaps throw another name at me. Who should Pavek him fight next? Which top contender should he fight? Um, but yeah, moving over now to one or two other bills just before we wrap up part one. Uh, we have a fight that took place at the town hall in Walsall, West Midlands, United Kingdom. One fight to mention over here: Tyler Denny, nine and zero with two draws, took on Rhys Cartwright, twenty-one and one. Obviously, Rhys Cartwright um, was really on track, really um, exciting the fight fans. A real good prospect until he lost a real shock, um, a, a real shock loss to I think it was a bit of a journeyman actually. He lost to him, and then he came back, and obviously he's picked up the. The uh, the English middleweight title here, which was vacant, a TKO in round eight for Reese Cartwright, a young fighter. I'm glad to see that he's back on track there, and he's taken Tyler Denny's O. Um, the bout actually got stopped by the doctor after the doctor inspected Denny's um his 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 lip was badly cut and I think he was damaged on his right eye. So uh, a good win there for Reese Cartwright, like I say. Moving over stateside now to the Bowie State University. It was actually um the first fight I believe um, a first professional fight, anyway, on, on on this specific college grounds, which does seem pretty bizarre. But Evander Holyfield was the promoter of this show, so no one's arguing with him. But one fight to mention over here. Friend of the show, Alontis Fox, former opponent of Demetrius Andrade. He moved to 24-1 and with one draw. A unanimous decision over eight rounds against Elvin Ayala, whose record now is 29-11 and with one draw. Um, finally, moving over to... The no, there's one bill after this, but but moving over now to the Waterburger Field in Corpus Christi, Texas, USA. One fight to mention over here: Selena Barrios, the sister of Mario Barrios. Once again, Selena, um, her last fight, so the fight before this, we streamed live on our website. Um, she's a promising fighter, real, real good amateur, um, and and a lady that fights in the pro ranks. Literally throws with intent every single shot. Uh, she actually went the distance here, though. She went 10 two-minute rounds against Patricia Juarez, who also was undefeated. Both ladies were 4-0 and going in, but Selena Barrios moved to 5-0, and and she's taken the O here of Patricia Juarez. Also, Barrios um, remains the NABF female lightweight champion, so a good defense for her there. Moving over now to Monday, though. This fight took place earlier this week, the 24th of September. One fight to mention that happened over in Japan at the Takeda Teva Ocean Arena. One fight to mention, like I say, Kosi Tanaka. He fought for the WBO World Flyweight title against the champion Sho Kimura. Kimura 17-1 with two draws going in. Tanaka managed to win unanimously over 12 rounds, so he's the new WBO World Flyweight champion. His record 12-0, a real emerging fantastic fighter there from Japan, Mr. Kosi Tanaka but that's really it for the review part of the show just before we wrap up part one um, we will bring in our first guest but just before we do that, it's now time to say goodbye to IFL's Umar Ahmed. Umar, thank you very much for coming on this week's show, obviously you've been with us for the first part here and um, we look forward to having you on another uh, another date sometime but like I say, thank you very much for joining on this week's show my friend
1: No problem Joey, pleasure and uh, enjoy Grove Smith on Friday night
2: absolutely thank you very much okay and like i say the last thing to do just before we wrap up part one is to welcome our very first guest ladies and gentlemen please welcome the wba intercontinental light heavyweight champion it's of course mr jake ball jake welcome back on the show sir thank you very much joey mate it's always my pleasure having you on Jake um, last time we spoke it was quite a while ago actually back in December um, so quite a lot has happened since then obviously one thing at a time uh, you were you know, you know, were getting ready at the time to take on Miles Shinquin you came through that fight, you banked a valuable 10 rounds a very good learning fight for you in my opinion and the fight was very entertaining throughout, would you agree with that and was that fight tougher than the Joe Sheriff fight, two questions in one there, take it away
0: yeah, no, no, it was a very good learning fight, obviously another good ten rounds. Um, obviously, just ticking the box again that um, you can go into those um, into, into those later rounds and um, and still get the win out. Um, it, it was a very good fight. It was one of those where um, obviously, as everyone know, in, in the Joe Sheriff fight, I, I sort of um, it was the first time I experienced an injury during a fight. I, I, I done my hand in the second round of that fight. Um, so yeah, so so it, it sort of threw me off for for, for a few rounds. Um, sort, sort of caught me off guard. because the first time I've, I've ever I've ever experienced any sort of injury or any sort of pain. Um, basically during a fight, and obviously having to push through it. My um, first time of doing that to pull the win off. Um, so when my hand, I think I think my hand went again in the fourth or fifth round of the Shinkwin fight. But um, I was obviously, it, 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 it's never a good thing, but. Where where I sort of was already through that, been through that sort of that sort of stage once already in my career, I, I sort of knew how to deal with it. So yeah, so I, I would say um the the, the fight was probably a bit more of a, I think I sort of dealt with it a lot a lot better than what I did the the sheriff fight.
2: And you mentioned there about the hand going, and for the hand to go in two back to back fights, that would indicate that perhaps. You know, there's there's quite a serious problem there. Have you had a chance to get someone to look at it? Is everything sorted now? How is it? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Well, well, obviously that's what caused um, the, the delay. Obviously, that's, that's why I've had, I've had a quiet year this year. I I, I had it sorted on um, January this year, so that's why I've been um just I was just been in the gym in the, the, the gym training hard still, just um doing what I can. i um, recovering rehab, and then um until until last week where obviously I had my comeback and all is good now all is good
2: and roll on October 27th so like like I say another thing that's happened outside of the ring you've decided to make the move to Sheffield to train at the reputable Ingle Gym firstly Jake you were with Jimmy Mack for a long time um, if you don't mind me asking was the split your decision was it mutual Are you still friends the, the pair of you how's things now between you and Jim
0: yeah no 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 it, it, it was my decision it was just one of those where I'm um, it's just one of those things where a change was needed, so it was just um, the Ingalls Gym was the right move for me at the right time. Um, no, um, me and Jim Ski, 100%. I saw Jim Ski, um, I, I chatted to Jim Ski face to face about it. Um, we sat down and had a coffee overall. Um, he wishes me nothing but luck. Um, he sounded he, he like, oh, listen, uh, I would have a bad word to say about Jim Ski. Um, he, he, what he's done for me in my pro career, obviously, um, like transitioning me from amateur to pro. It, um, is massive, so um, he, he played a big part, a big part of my career up to now. So um, he's a mate of mine, a mate of mine for for a very long time to be.
2: Yeah, very well said. Very well said. I'm pleased to hear that. And obviously, you say there the move to Sheffield. Um, it sounds like it was kind of like a no-brainer for you. Why the angle, Jim? It's obviously a long way away from Surrey.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, the thing is, obviously. Yeah, there would have been a, a lot easier, easier route for me to go by but um, it's one of those it's, it's just putting myself obviously out of my comfort zone like I'm serious about where I want to be in this sport Um, I, I see myself as a world champion so to do that I've got to surround myself by people in the same mindset and obviously um, the, the talent and the fighters that, that are in, in, in the English gym is, is second to none so um, obviously um, iron sharpens iron i i to be honest with you for for sort of a a, a southpaw boxer um, who's, who's got a bit of movement, I don't think there's no better place than um, the English gym
2: and you mentioned there on Friday you had your comeback fight, it was also your first fight under Dominic Ingle, you took on Philip Coti. now is also a southpaw, and to be fair to him he only really gets beaten by good fighters, you managed to stop him in three rounds, only one man has managed to get him out of there quicker, and that of course was Kel Brook, Kel <laughs> did it in two, you did it in three, but aside from that, we've had world title challengers in the ring with Cote, and they've needed much longer than three rounds, so really impressive from you there, talk us through that fight for those that may not have seen it Jake
0: yeah no it was one of those um, we had a few opponents come to us but ideally it was a six round fight I wanted someone who was going to sort of take me a few rounds Um, Trophy, he he was actually I think we got I think he was the third opponent that was actually selected we got him on like two or three days notice Um, but he's always in good shape you see from the fight he's in good physical shape Um, it was one of those he's a very awkward customer very tricky very um like, like, very awkward to gauge, so I, I was sort of, um, Dominic just told me just, just, just basically the first two rounds, no matter what happens, just get two rounds out of him, just see see where he is. Uh, I just kept him long, kept him at the sharp box in the first two rounds. Um, come to the corner after the second round, and Dominic said, um, he said, J- just step it up now, he said, eh, and you're getting it out of there. So I, I, I just started putting a, putting a few more combinations together and, and, um, and, and, and got the win. Lovely,
2: lovely, lovely. Obviously, you mentioned also your next fight's going to be at the Copper Box on the 27th of October on a brilliant bill, by the way. The bill is full up. Yeah, 100%. Fights. Your fight is also, in some people's eyes, a 50-50. You'll be taking on crazy. In some Rogers. people's eyes, yeah. <laughs> You'll, be in, taking
0: on. Maybe. <laughs>
2: You'll be taking on Craig Richards, a man with only one loss, which came to, obviously, Frank Buglioni in a fight where he only had about four or five days' notice, and he managed to go the entire 12 to give him credit. What else do you know about Craig, Jake?
0: No, to be honest with you, um, I, I know Craig um, Anyway, in the box. He, 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 he's a sound kid. It's one of those, um, there ain't really much haste and malice in this fight. It's just one of those where, obviously, we're both at a similar stage of our career. Um, it's one of those fights that, we, like, listen, I, I didn't have to take this fight. I, I'm the one who's been calling this fight out. I, called this, I want this fight at the start of the year, but obviously, due to injury myself, um, it's been postponed. Um, and it's one of those where I, I want to be in those fights. Like my last two fights with Sheriff and Shinquin, uh, I was, like, top, top prospects who's looking to, to move on. They're the sort of fights that, that sort of draws the crowds. It's the sort of fights I want to be in. I don't want to be in fights where, where I'm walking in the ring and everyone's thinking, "Oh yeah, Jake's going to ball this fella over." I want fights where there's going to be split, like split opinions, um, fans from both sides. Um, I'm in an hour about it. So yeah, so it's a good fight for me. Exciting fight for me. I'm looking forward to it. training hard for it, and um, I'm, I'm positive that I'll be walking away with the victory.
2: And providing you win this fight, Jake, is there a plan for afterwards? I know that you don't like to look too far ahead, but, you know, in terms of perhaps the British title or something, or not just yet.
0: Yeah, well, I think, well, regarding the British title, and even the Commonwealth, um, obviously, I'll be keeping a close eye on, on Karen Johnson, who, who's fighting in better October 6th. So, depending on, on how he goes, obviously, I touch wood that Johnson can pull it off and beat him, because obviously, then it frees up both those belts. But, um... But first and foremost, uh, take care of business October twenty seventh, and then I'll leave. I'll, I'll leave what's after that up to Dominic and, and Eddie.
2: Yeah, yeah, brilliant answer. I was going to mention the Callum Johnson fight. Obviously, we all hope he does get the victory. A very, very hard task for him. Um, I want to get your get your reaction to Joshua versus Povetkin. If you have, if you've had a chance to watch it, what did you make of it?
0: Yeah, I watched. It, I watched. It, I watched it live. I mean, it's one of those. I think all oh, Povetkin. Um, I actually uh, listen. I think Joshua done fantastic. I, I personally, I don't think Joshua was on the ball that night. It, it, it wasn't. He wasn't his normal self. Um, but, um, but fair play to him. Listen, he, he, he showed that he is a real champion because he obviously it was a hard fight. In court with a lot, a lot of shots coming in, but he 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 grinded the winner. He pulled the win off in fantastic fashion. It reminded me of, of the Carlos Takan fight because when I first saw that Takan fight. Him, um, I saw he sort of had that sort of Tyson-esque sort of style, like getting under the shots and catching him as he was, as he's stepping in. And the was sort of doing the same every time. Tyson, um, uh Joshua was pumping his jab out. He was just slipping on the inside, coming over with the right and uppercut hook, and, and and he he was catching him. Um, he was catching him with twos and threes, and um and sort of shaking Joshua. But but um but obviously he, he took it. He took it. Um come back strong, and, and, got, and got the
2: win. So you can't knock him for it. Yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. I like your analysis there. And coming down to the last couple of questions, Jake, um, another brilliant fight. I mean, we're talking about the likes of, of your fight with Craig and all the rest of these brilliant all-British affairs. We've got a fantastic all-British affair coming up um, this week, Friday, obviously, in Saudi Arabia for some reason. We've got George Groves and we've got Callum Smith. Who wins that one? Brilliant fight.
0: To me personally, I think it, sh- it should be Groves. Um, albeit um, he- he's healthy and, and physically he-, he can stand the 12 rounds. Um, I-, I believe Groves, Groves, i um, showing that quite comfortable.
2: Okay, okay. A lot of people split on that one, Jake. You seem pretty confident with Groves.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, obviously, I-, I know he has issues with his shoulder and whatnot. So as long- I think as long-, as long as his body can hold up. Um, I think he's just a far superior boxer.
2: Yeah, fair point. I think the experience certainly is with him uh, to say that. Uh, yeah, and that's what is. Uh,
0: obviously, he's been in, in a lot more. Um, like the opposition that he's faced has been at a high level as well. So, so um, yeah, I just um, I I'll be back in I'll be back in Groves for that one. Yeah,
2: fair enough, fair enough. And finally, Jake, I want to ask you um, your, your prediction for, um, for October 27th. How do you see your arm being raised? Obviously, you know, he's been in there with the likes of Frank on a few days' notice. A lot of people thought Frank could probably stop him. Frank didn't manage to do it. You hit hard. I don't need to tell you that. Can you do it in the distance, or does it go points in your heart of hearts?
0: No, I, I, 100% Listen, I've got the power to knock out any lot of way. Um, especially lots of, of, of Craig, which is, in my opinion, um, I think Craig's a lovely guy, but to me, he's, he's not a proper lightweight. So if I catch him, if I catch Craig clean, which I believe I will, um, then he, he, he will be knocked out.
2: Okay, fair point, fair point. But listen, Jake, it's always my pleasure to get you on the show. You know that. Thank you so much for your time. Keep training hard in Sheffield, and I hope to, uh, to to be there ringside, by the way. But aside from that, I want to wish you the absolute best of luck for the 27th, and we'll catch up sometime after, as always. No,
0: thank you, Joey, mate. Always a pleasure, my friend. Anytime.
2: Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part, of course, the news part of the show. Ayaz, take it away. What you got for us? Vasil Lomachenko
3: will face Jose Pedraza on the 8th of December.
2: Yes, obviously we saw Pedraza last time out when he beat and took the title away from Raimundo Beltran. He's out here on December 8th against Lomachenko. I believe the fight was supposed to happen on the 1st of December and I think because of Fury and Wilder penciling him for that date they've now just um just postponed it a week there so uh, yeah, cool stuff there. Um a fight that I think I think uh, Lomachenko wins pretty easily, but you know Pedraza is a real good fighter, and he showed that in that Beltram fight. He shocked a lot of people, even though I picked him to win there.
3: Billy Joe Saunders has been fined hundred thousand pound by the British Board of Control after uploading the video.
2: Yeah, this uh, this this um, this this video that went viral. Obviously, I don't even really want to get into it too much, but it was real poor form from a world champion. There, it has to be said, um, especially a man that. ...arguably he's the face of Frank Warren's boxing, I mean, you know, obviously he's defending his world title on the zone, Um, he's an undefeated champion, Um, it's not the first time he's done something quite silly like this, and this one I think went too far... Um, yeah, I mean he's been fined. A lot of people saying it's a real heavy fine, and it was probably too much. But I think, I mean, I think it was quite steep. To be honest, a hundred grand is a, obviously a, a hell of a lot of money. That's that's more than some boxers making their entire career. But um, you know, hopefully it will it will stop him from doing childish things like this again. So hopefully, it's a lesson um, rather than um, you know a heavy punishment. Will hopefully. Um, stop him from doing anything like this again in the future Uh, we don't want to see that from him we want to see his fantastic boxing skills which he does have in abundance and um, he's a quality fighter but you know a little bit of poor form from him there and uh, it really needs to it really needs to stop i mean he's a role model to to children out there that want to be world champions and he knows that at the end of the day so uh, hopefully we don't see anything like that from him again
3: and that's it for the news
2: Okay, thank you very much. Eyes. Let's dive into the preview part of the show now. We're going to start a card that's happening um, that's happening tomorrow actually in the Gold Coast Convention Centre in Broad Beach, Queensland, Australia. Return of the former WBA heavyweight world champion, Mr. Lucas Brown. His record twenty-five and one. He's in an eight-round contest against Julius Long, whose record is eighteen and twenty. Moving over now to China. We're really, really. Covering the the world of boxing here, from Australia to China, and after this we're going to Ghana. But let's start here um, in China at the Changsha Social Work College Gymnasium in China. Like I say, one fight to mention on this bill: um, the the Chinese Olympian Zilil Zhang, the the undefeated southpaw. His record 19-0. and He puts his WBO Oriental heavyweight title on the line against Don Hainsworth, who's um, a fighter that I think lost to Brian Jennings, if my memory serves me correct. His record 15-2 and with one draw. Zalil Zhang really needs to get moving now. Um, the age is becoming a factor. I think he's about 36 years of age, and he really hasn't fought anybody of note in the pros just yet. Um, a real promising prospect, though. Moving over now to the Napoleon Boxing Gym in Accra, Ghana. One fight to mention over here. Friend of the show, Ashley Theophane. He's left the money team. He's now going on the road to Ghana. His record, 43-8 and with one draw. He takes on Frank Dodsey, who's got a record of 19-10. and If I'm not mistaken, this guy, Frank Dodsey, at one point, he, I think he put together eight wins in a row. And all of his opponents that he, that he fought and beat in this eight-win streak, every single one of them, if you put all their wins together, it comes to zero. They had no wins. So I'm expecting Fia Fain to win this and win it well. Moving over now to Saudi Arabia at the King Abdullah Sports City in Jeddah. I, as I thought, you may be going out to this one, but obviously not. Um, on the undercard we have Darren Surtees his record 8 and 0 he's in an 8 rounder against Kane Baker who gave a real fantastic fight to um to Sanjeev Sohota. Kane Baker's a real uh, a real good fighter. I really like him. I've got a soft spot for him. His record, 8-4, and four. that's a good fight there. Chris Eubank Jr., 26-2. He's in a 10-rounder against J.J. McDonough, the man that calls the upset against the guest that came on earlier on this week's show, Jake Ball. So, J.J. McDonough, 16-4, a 10-round contest here. McDonough, like I say, certainly can punch. He weathered a storm early on against Jake Ball and stopped him, and it was one of the most shocking stoppages I've ever seen, nobody expected it and it was a brutal knockout if I may say so Um, Chris Eubank Jr, JJ McDonough has two separate levels really when you think about it, Um, to go from fighting George Groves, the the WBA super world champion to then drop down in level and take on JJ McDonough on the undercard seems a little bit underwhelming how do you see this fight playing out, we've gone to the predictions
3: Um, I personally think Chris Eubank Jr is going to knock him out Obviously, he's just a little warm up fight since he's uh, since he's lost to Georges. But I want to see he's been training with Floyd Senior, which is really really weird in Vegas. But is he still training with is Ronnie Davis still going to be in his corner, which I'm really confused
2: about think he's gone over to that Mayweather gym many times before. I think he's been doing pads with Floyd Senior for quite a number of years now, but I don't know if he's actually his trainer. I don't believe he'll be in the corner in Saudi Arabia. I can't see um big Floyd Senior getting on a getting on a plane from Las Vegas to Jeddah. Um but I I could be wrong, but no, I, I reckon we'll probably see Ronnie Davies and and um Chris Chris Senior out there if I have to say so. But I reckon Eubank Junior by knockout. I reckon he wins very easily. Um, and and the listeners have also gone with Chris Eubank Junior to win by knockout. Anything else to add on that one, Ayers or not?
3: I think Chris Eubank Junior is obviously going to knock him out. I reckon knock him out early. Yeah, I
2: have to agree. And the main event here: George Groves twenty eight three puts his WBA Super World Super Middleweight title on the line. Callum Smith gets in the ring here. Obviously, with his undefeated record intact, 24-0, but I tell you what, Callum Smith does bring a piece of silverware. He puts his WBC Diamond Super Middleweight title on the line. A 12-round contest here, I has A very hard one to pick. I mean, going into this tournament, we must remember Callum Smith was the favourite to win the tournament. And then, obviously, um, George Groves has put together two brilliant wins against Jamie Cox and Chris Eubank Jr., and that has now turned him into the favourite to win. A brilliant, um, a brilliant fight, like I say, a very hard one to pick. And I'm, I'm struggling on who to pick here. Obviously, Callum Smith, a friend of the show, he's he's very confident going into this one. And whenever he fights someone. On a big stage against a big name, he always performs. But this is a real big name on a super big stage. Can he perform? Tell me. Oh,
3: that's a very tough, tough call. George Gross has been improving and improving and improving. Obviously, um, this is a very tough fight for him. Callum Swift, is, is, to me, he looks like the big, he's a bigger super middleweight than George Gross. George Gross, I think, is going to beat him by points. And I think George Gross's jab is going to do the work on him. Um, obviously George Groves is going to be the favourite. Callum Smith, what he needs to use, to, in order for Callum Smith to beat George Groves, he needs to use his size. But um, the key for George Groves to win that fight is his jab, and I think George is going to win it by points.
2: Okay, George Groves on points. That is what the listeners say also. Um, a regular listener, Nathan Moos, that's N underscore Moos on Twitter. He says, Callum Smith to break Groves down with relentless bodywork and eventually get the stoppage. Now, that is a big call, but I tell you what, I wouldn't be surprised to see that either. I think that Callum Smith is an exceptional body puncher, and I don't think that Groves likes it to the body. Um, George Groves, it's funny, because we always kind of thought that he was the nearly man. I mean, he lost the two fights to Carl to Froch. He went on the road and lost to Badu Jack in a real close fight where he went down, I believe, in the first round. And we just kind of thought, that's it for George Groves. He's seen better days. It's not meant to be. Three world title fights, three losses... Obviously, um, the opportunity arised at one point and he just snatched it. And now he's looking like such a force. It's unbelievable the way his career has gone. It's gone you know, from being really, um, really, really brilliant at first. I mean, obviously, you know, with the win over James DeGaulle early on kind of catapulted him um, into, into being really well recognized and stuff like that in terms of the big sky shows and obviously he was part of the whole Haymaker team with Adam Booth and the rest of it and then you know he took on Carl Froch, he brought a lot of fans into that, he left the ring with even more fans and then in the rematch a lot of people thought that perhaps Carl Froch won't overlook him and then he got cleaned out by that beautiful shot from Carl Froch and then like I say going on the road against Badu Jack a fight that went under the radar massively at the time and then You know, he lost, and he kind of, I remember at the time he deleted his Twitter, and he just went into the wilderness, and I think he even perhaps thought about stopping boxing, but now he's back, and he's just, he's reigning supreme, and I tell you what, he's one of the best fighters in the world, if not the best, at super middle, but Callum Smith is looking to prove everybody very wrong. Um... Yeah, hard fight to pick. I'm going to go Groves on points, but I would not be surprised if Callum Smith stopped him. I would not be surprised if Callum Smith outboxed him. I would not be surprised if Groves knocked Callum Smith out because we know that he can punch. I really just wouldn't be shocked with any outcome at all, but I think the safe money is with Groves on points because he's got the you know the momentum behind him. Two brilliant fights in this tournament already. And it's unbelievable that he entered the tournament and all three of his opponents have all been British. So he's the only guy that's not had to fight foreign people and he's got all the way to the final. Obviously, McCallum um, Smith had to go on the road once in his two fights here. Um, he went over to Germany, obviously, but yeah. Good fight. I, I hope that Callum Smith can do it, seeing as he's a friend of the show and um, made a best man win. I'm, I'm kind of on the fence a little bit, but if I have to say so, then it's Groves on points. Um, you've said Groves on points also, Ayers, if I'm not mistaken?
3: Yes, that's correct.
2: Okay, and the listeners going with that also. Uh, moving over now from... Jeddah to the Oracle Arena in Oakland, California, USA. One or two fights to mention over here. This one's going to be shown on ESPN+. Um, it's a top-ranked show. We have Jerwin Ancajas. He puts his IBF World Superflyweight title on the line against Alejandro Barrios. His record, 16-2 and with four draws. And obviously, Ancajas, 30-1 and with one draw. That's the guy um, for those people that... If they don't know Encaras, which if you're a hardcore, you should know Encaras. But if you if you've heard the name and you can't think where he did beat Jamie Conlon earlier this year, I believe it was, or maybe the back end of last year. Also on the undercard we have Jose Uzcatagay. Obviously, he's the IBF super middleweight world champion. He's the guy that got elevated when James Gale vacated. This is a non-title bout though. His record 27 and two. He takes on Ezekiel Moderna whose records twenty-six and four. That's a ten rounder there. Just to keep busy fire for Katigi. Moving over now to the Pachenga Resort and Casino in California, USA. Friend at a show he was on a few weeks ago, brilliant, high-flying young prospect Devin Haney. He promotes his first show here, Devin Haney Promotions. It's going to be shown on Showtime. He tops the bill as well. His record 19-0. He fights for the vacant IBF North American Lightweight title against Juan Carlos Burgos, who um, has only got two losses in 30. 30- seven fights his record 33 and 2 with two draws burgos's most recent loss came to mikey garcia over 12 rounds so you know that um, he's, he's obviously quite a decent fighter to go the distance with Mikey Garcia. So that should be a cracking contest and a brilliant step up for Devin Haney. Uh, moving over now to Waldenbuch in Germany. We have Erken Tepper, 19-2. He's fighting for the vacant IBF intercontinental heavyweight title against Robert Hellenius, 27-2. and Quite a good fight, actually. Two subpar heavyweights there in the heavyweight division. But both guys... Um, You know, kind of at, I don't want to say similar stages because Tepper hasn't had as many fights as Hellenius, but Hellenius is kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. And Tepper, I mean, since he knocked out David Price with that brutal, brutal punch. He's He's been serving a drug ban, and everyone's kind of stayed away from him, really. He hasn't really deserved a big fight, but this is his chance to capitalize on this one. Uh, moving over now to the Leisure Centre in Bracknell, United Kingdom. I will be here on Saturday. It's an siesta card. We had siesta on the show last week. Let's run through the card here. We've got Lufa Clay, 9-1. He's in an 8-rounder against Yaya. Tlauziti, his record 13-3 three with three draws. He's never been stopped. Lufa Clay, Perhaps if he's as good as what people say he is, he may get the stoppage here. His record nine and one. Like I say, Lufa Clay. Really looking forward to seeing him live. Nailer balls on the undercard. This is a real, real, real banana skin type fight. Nailer ball five and zero. Oh. This is a six rounder here against Camille Sokolowski. Obviously, Sokolowski fought Huey Fury in that exhibition bout the Copper Box when uh, when Huey was out the ring for quite a while and they had that little. Exhibition fight before he took on Joseph Parker Camille Sokolowski also Has been in there with David Price He's a real tough, tough, tough guy Do not let the record Um for you, I should say, his record four and twelve with two draws. George Lampert is also on the undercard. His record five and zero. He's in a six rounder against the also undefeated comrade Stempowski. His record eight and zero. We also see the heavyweight Nick Webb return to action. This is his first fight since being stopped by. Um, by Dave, the White Rhino, Allen. Nick Webb's record twelve and one. Obviously, like I say, the first fight from being knocked out on the undercard of White and. Parker, um, a couple of other fights on that bill, so really looking forward to that one at the Leisure Centre in Bracknell. Moving over now to the Assembly Hall in Walthamstow, United Kingdom. This one is an Andy Aylin show. We have a couple of fights to mention over here. Boy Jones Jr., 17 and 17-1 with one draw. His opponent yet to be announced. That's an eight-rounder there. Tamuka Mucha, 16-1. He's in a 6-rounder. His opponent yet to be announced. Jake Petit, 3-0. He's in a 4-rounder. His opponent yet to be announced. Harvey Horn, 3-0. His opponent yet to be announced. That's a 4-rounder there. And finally, Harley Ben, his record 4-0. and That is a 4-rounder. His opponent yet to be announced. Moving over now to the Fantasy Springs Casino in Indio, California, USA. This one's a Golden Boy Promotions card. We have Jorge Linares, 44-4. He gets in the ring against Abner Cotto, who's a re- of Miguel Cotto, of course, his record 23 and 3. That's a 10 rounder there. Uh, moving out now to the Citizens Business Bank Arena. This is the final bill to mention. It's happening in Ontario, California, USA. Uh, this one's going to be shown on Box Nation as well as Fox Sports 1 in the US. Um, we have a few fighters on this bill here, actually. We have. James DeGale, 24 and two with one draw. He says he's got a big fight coming up in December, but um, he's. In an eight round contest here, it's a bit of a keep busy fight. His opponent yet to be announced. That's the only unfinished bout of the whole of the whole show. I think there's over ten fights on this bill here. Also, Cody Davies, the Welshman, seven and oh. He gets in there against Jihad Fenderson, whose record is four and six. That's an eight rounder there. Big Joe Joyce, his first fight under Abel Sanchez, his record five and oh. He's in an eight round contest against Iago Kiladzi, whose record's twenty six and three. Kiladzi He's the guy that got knocked out by Michael Hunter, the man that's taking on Martin Bacoli in a couple of weeks. Uh, Also, we have Brandon Figueroa. That's the brother of Omar. His record 16. And, oh, he's in a 10-rounder against Oscar Escandon. That's a huge step up there for Figueroa. Escandon's record 25 and 4. But that's really it for the previewing. We brought you the first guest. We brought you the reviewing. Umar Ahmed came on for part one. We've brought you the news. We've brought you the previewing. But just before we wrap up part two, the last thing to do is to welcome our second and final guest ladies and gentlemen please welcome the former british title challenger it's of course mr craig richards craig welcome back on the show my man
4: hello hello how are you you good
2: yes man i'm good i'm good how are you
4: i'm good i'm blessed i'm blessed feeling good feeling strong
2: Excellent. <laughs> yeah. excellent, excellent. So, Craig, it's been a really long time since you've been on the show, actually. It's, it's been a year and yeah. a half this week, which is, which is a long, long time ago. Um, at that time... Wow. You know, stuff was going on um, back then. A lot's happened since then. I want to get down to the big things, really. I want to start with that, that British title fight against Frank Buglione. Um, obviously, you took him on with about four or five days notice, something like that, after just yeah. moving up in yeah. weight, literally the week before. Yeah, you actually right. you actually had a fight a week before that fight, which is crazy. Yeah. Could, could preparation have been much worse looking back now, Craig? Uh, it
4: could have been worse because... Obviously, it was. I was meant to fight a few weeks before that, just in a four or six rounder. So just ticking over, and then um, that got cancelled as well. Then obviously Eddie rang us in the week on the Tuesday, and then said, um, "Do you want to get out on Belfast? Just so, so, a four rounder." So I thought, "Well, yeah. Obviously, I can get through four rounds. It was a four rounder." So of course I went off and done that. And then um, on the Sunday, obviously Callum Johnson ended up in hospital, and um, obviously it was and he pulled the plug and didn't get to fight or I could fill in on five days notice so you know me I'm a fighter I like to fight so of course I said yeah cool like roll the dice and let's go so I did that Um, come up short on points the only regrets I probably had is at times where I probably troubled him I should have maybe jumped on and uh, jumped on the opportunities I had but obviously only having five days preparation for your first 12 rounder and not having a camp for it you're going to be a bit cautious of um, throughout the rounds and stuff of just Working, working, working. But that was the only little regret I probably would have had. But apart from that, I don't regret anything. Learning curves, and I know it takes to push on from there.
2: Yeah, and that was going to be my next question. I was going to ask if you had any regrets, but like I say, you know, obviously that fight was your first 12 round. You, you know, you had five days notice or something, no time to pre- yeah. to prepare for the fight, no time to study your man, and obviously it was your biggest step up, and you took him the distance. It was a bit of a war yeah. at times, but undoubtedly your profile yeah. went up there, um, so good stuff all around. Now, since the Buglioni fight, obviously you've put together two wins, both by stoppage, both in the third round, and now you take on... Your next opponent here, Jake Ball, on October 27th at the Copper Box. That night of boxing, by the way, aside from your fight and including your fight, is a beautiful night of boxing. Like I say, we had Jake on the show earlier. And I'm going to start the question here with you, the same question that I gave to him. What do you know about your opponent, Craig?
4: Um, Obviously, I've seen him a few times. I've watched him on shows. I know about about his history. I know his background of his boxing. I I know quite a lot about him, to be fair, ins and outs. Him as a person, I know a lot about him, but uh, take that into not into consideration. Uh, people can change, people can adapt and switch to things. So I don't really look into it too much, but I've seen enough of him. I know enough about him, so um, yeah,
2: we box on a lot of similar shows. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and um, obviously, you know, Craig, you're not you're not a massive light heavyweight. I think you'd admit that yourself. Jake is very tall for the weight. He's six foot four. He's a southpaw. He's a puncher. How will you be able to deal with this man's strength, this man's size, this man's power?
4: Well, has anyone in amateurs, professionally, or anything ever troubled me before? I was small at light heavyweight when I was even in the amateurs, but I'd even weigh light heavyweight in the amateurs. But um, I used to cruise through that pretty easy, pretty simple. am um, a big people don't understand. They think because like I'm normal size that I'm not a big light heavyweight. When it comes to punch power, I am. If you look at all my wins above super middleweight, like every win above every time I've stepped above super middleweight, except the Ernie fight, I've knocked him out within three rounds. So there's no question of my punch power at light heavyweight. Um, And that was before I grew into the weight. Obviously, it's last year I've been growing into the weight more um, because obviously it's easy to just put on weight, but you don't want to put on unnecessary weight, just the way heavier on the scales or whatever. It's about putting on the right weight, and that's what I've been doing for the last year so my strength my power everything's even increased even more so and obviously my fitness my stamina only increased so i'm not worried about if he's taller if he's wider if he's locked that all of that you, that doesn't mean anything to me this is boxing it's not built for show it's built to go
2: and Craig, who would you say out of out of yourself and Jake has probably got the best win or the best wins on their resume if you look at both of your records?
4: Mm, I really look to see his greatest wins, but after seven fights, i have beat a kid 12-0 um, for a southern area title with only one six-rounder.
2: Yeah, so Alan Higgins, I remember that.
4: Exactly, I've done that. with, And I, and I, to be honest, I was very ill at camp as well. Anyone can tell you. Um, anyone in the gym will tell you. So I only really had a 3 weeks training camp for that fight. And it was my first step up. Ten rounds against a guy who just beat off for the title. He's a seasoned campaigner. I think he's had three, four, ten-rounders at the time. I had one, six-rounder and I stepped up. And I won my Southern Area, like, headlining on Sky. Like, I've done that. So... I don't feel like much prospects have stepped up as much as I have, as early as I stepped up. When you look at everyone who steps up, they're always the favourite going into these fights. I've been underdog a couple of times and I've come through. So, um, Except, obviously, the Bugglioni fight, which I took on five days' notice. So I don't really worry about someone's resume of if he has boxed anyone good or hasn't boxed anyone good. I just focus on myself.
2: And you know me, Craig. I sometimes like to throw a fact out in the middle of, of, of my interview sometimes. And here's a lovely, uh, lovely fact about you. Or perhaps not so much of a nice fact, actually. Um, did you know that you've actually retired quite a few fighters? Obviously, you beat James Child. He never fought again. You beat Scott Douglas. He had one more fight and he retired. You beat Richard Halton. He never fought again. And and as you mentioned there, you beat Alan Higgins. And he never fought again. So you've guess, to, you seem to... You beat is, the fight out of people.
4: <laughs> Most fighters I fight do retire after I fight them. That's the truth. Most fighters I fight retire. I, I think it was one point and half the fighters I fought retired after boxing them. Uh, some insane. tried to roll the dice one more time but they had no more fighting them.
2: That is insane. So, that is insane.
4: I just feel like I think watching me and being in the ring with me is two different things. I think I look a lot more simple and a lot easier. On the eye when you're watching me, then when you actually get in the ring with me, and that's what I've heard multiple times after. So I, that's why I say I don't really, I don't really worry about other people. I know what I can bring to the table. I know I'm strong. I know I'm mentally tough. I know I'm built for it. So.
2: And you're an honest man, Craig. You also really do know your boxing inside out. Um, I want to throw a couple of names at you from the domestic scene at Light Heavyweight here in Britain. I'd like it if you could rank them, maybe from like, um, I think I'm going to throw about seven names at you. If you could rank them from like, uh, from the best to not necessarily the worst, but the least best, if you know what I mean. You up for that?
4: I probably won't be able to do that because I don't really focus on the others to that kind of degree.
2: Yeah, but you know these guys. I probably don't
4: guys. focus on I do know them, <laughs> and I know I know more about some of them than others. So I feel like some me doing it will probably be a little bit biased at times.
2: Alright, what I'll do, rather than, you, you don't have to give all seven, but if I throw these names at you, I'm going to take yourself out of it. I want to ask you, out of these guys, who would you uh, recognise as probably, well, in your opinion, the best on the domestic scene? Is that fair?
4: I can't rate some fighters like that. <laughs> Not in my division. <laughs> because I'm always biased to myself. So
2: yeah, but if I, I take you out of it, it, what if I take you out yeah, of it?
4: Yeah, but I can't look at other fighters because then I'm looking at the other fighters in light heavyweight and giving them too many prop, too much props. <laughs> that's, that's what that's what Eddie and Frank and all the other promoters to do. <laughs> okay. I, I can't promote other fighters. <laughs>
2: okay, let's move out a light yeah, heavyweight. But
4: I know, I do, I, you know what, to be fair, like, I do... I do rate Jake as a fighter. I do think he's a good fighter. Um, I'm under no delusion. I know he's a good fighter, um, despite what people say. I know he's a good fighter. I think he's a, he, you know, he knows what he's doing in there. So I'm taking this fight very serious.
2: Yeah, for sure. But coming out of the light heavyweight division moving down a weight and then fast forward in two days. I know that's a little bit confusing, but we're gonna see um we're gonna see a, a fantastic fight hopefully in Jeddah. George Groves, Callum Smith, World Boxing Super Series, Super Middleweight Final. Who wins that one for you, Craig? Uh
4: it's gonna be a tremendous fight. Um it's gonna it's really a clash of stars, but it's gonna be a it's gonna be a tremendous... I'm really interested. I'm really interested. It's like one of them proper 50-50 fights. If I really, really had to, like, close my eyes and point at someone, maybe I'll edge towards Groves just because he's supreme punch power, um, he's good tactics, he's boxing brain. um, He's got more to bring, I think, than Callum Smith, and he can really get down to the nitty-gritty and he can box. not saying that Callum Smith can't do both because he can, but I just feel like at the world level that Groves is boxed at, against the likes of Badu Jacks and stuff like that and he's always putting on good performances um, I just believe
2: that he is a good operator yeah it's a very interesting like you say a, a clash of styles there I mean in my opinion obviously you know you've got Callum Smith who's a tall rangy guy but his best work probably comes on the inside on the you inside got, yeah. yeah you've got George Groves who is probably better with the distance but he's a smaller man it's exactly. weird
4: that's what I'm saying it's like the shorter guy is going to be boxing long and the tall guy is going to be trying to box in range. <laughs> so it's a real clash of stars. But at the same time, George Groves can get it nitty gritty on the inside. True. Where, not saying Callum Smith can't box long because obviously he's a tall guy. But I just feel like he might just have the little edge. George Groves. I'm not sure. I don't, it's, it's a good 50 50 fight.
2: Yeah, for sure. And another fight that's I just been
4: think made. But... Sorry, go on. I think the experience of Groves will
2: be good. Yeah, I think I'd have to agree to be honest. But another fight that's been made November the 10th. One weight class up from you. Um, obviously we're going to see Tony Bellew fighting for all the marbles against Yusick. Is Tony crazy for taking this fight, Craig? Can he win? Talk to me. not
4: crazy. If he got knocked out clean, um, and anyone wanted to laugh at him, just check his background balance afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> He's not crazy. He's rolling the dice. As he said, boxing's a puncher's chance. If he landed, imagine he lands and unifies the division. You know me. I'm a risk taker, so I would never call someone crazy for taking a risk in the sport of boxing, especially once you've achieved everything you've achieved. Um, He believes in himself, and that's half the battle won
2: and once again I'm going to finish this interview with the same question that I asked Jake Bull earlier, how do you win come October 27th when I asked Jake Bull this question, his words and I quote were, Craig isn't a proper light heavyweight and if I catch him clean, which I believe I will then he'll be knocked out, what's your response how do you win? oh come on, I, well,
4: I'm going for the KO
2: stoppage 100% so this fight doesn't go the distance, both men really believe that, so we're, we're in for a fantastic fight
4: we're in for a good fight, trust me. They always understand that I'm a real liar, everybody. <laughs> Come October the
2: 27th. Okay, okay, okay. But listen, Craig, it's always a pleasure having you on the show. You know that. Thank you so much for your time, bro. And we'll catch up sometime after, as always.
4: Okay, catch up soon, bro.
2: Okay, and this wraps up episode 154 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. Ayaz Sumra has been Iaz Sumra. A big thank you to IFL TV's Umar Ahmed for his involvement in this week's show. A huge thank you to our two guests that are both fighting each other on October 27th, and both men predict a stoppage. Only one man can be correct. Best of luck to Jake Ball and Craig Richards. The Prediction League currently stands at you, the listeners, in the lead on 59 points. Iaz is on 59 57 and I am now on 57 also. I've caught up with Ayaz. Listeners, I'm coming for you also. Remember to please leave us a review on iTunes if you've got the time to do so. Enjoy your weekends, people. Stay safe and we shall see you all next week.